Welcome to Game of Books with Kathy in South Dakota. That's me. And Christy in South Florida. That's me. We're two newbie writers sharing our take on wine, food, and mystery books. And the authors who write them. Join us for the fun. Welcome to the Game of Books podcast, Corks and Conversation with Al Pesson. Yes, we're so excited to talk with Al today, and not just because we are desperate for conversation while social distancing. (laughs) Exactly. Al is one of our conference buddies, and we have had a lot of writing and life talk with Al over cocktails and always have a great time. And now we get to introduce him to our mysterious foodies as a debut published author of Sandblast a page-turning thriller that we loved. Yes, yes. And so a little background about Al, that he downplayed during our conference talks. Uh, um, Yeah. But comes through, (laughs) I know, right? But it comes through definitely in uh, his writing skills and and the knowledge in his novel. So um, Al Pesson is a former foreign correspondent with more than 15 years overseas in a nearly 40-year journalism career. He worked for Voice of America with a career devoted almost entirely to international news, even during his domestic assignments. In addition to his reporting, he spent 10 years as a senior editor and news manager and was executive producer of VOA's first live radio television simulcast coverage of the presidential debates and election night in 2000. Kathy, that means his voice is going to be real good on our podcast, right? (laughs) A member of the Pentagon Press Corps from 2005 to 2011, including numerous trips to Afghanistan with Secretaries Rumsfeld and Gates and with senior military officers visiting the headquarters in Kabul and several forward operating bases. During that period, he also traveled to Iraq, Pakistan, Guantanamo Bay, and other strategic locales. In addition to his years at the Pentagon, Al has been posted in Hong Kong, Islamabad, Beijing, Jerusalem, and London, and was a correspondent at the White House and in New York. And I could go on and on about his experiences. But suffice it to say that even though he is a debut novel author, his writing through journalism has been published in multiple outlets, and he has taught courses on national security journalism at many universities. So, Al, it is nice to talk to you today. It's great to be with you guys, finally to do your show. (laughs) Yes, Now that you're published, right? Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, of course, before we get started in the deep conversation questions, um, I think we should enjoy the wine that Al chose. Um, It's Casal Garcia Vinho Verde from Portugal. And uh, I believe Kathy has um, an (laughs) excellent story about this wine. Well, it was just a... Not not really an excellent story. It's actually pretty shocking. But, you know, given the <laughs> circumstances of what's going on, you had let me know what Al was um, suggesting for what we were drinking today. So it was on my list to go to our liquor store. So I live in a small town in South Dakota, right? It's 24,000 people, plus the SDSU population is maybe another twelve or 14,000. But we only have one liquor store in town. And the liquor store is owned by our city. And it is closed during the pandemic. What? Our, we do That's not have sacrilege. a liquor store. <laughs> we 
we do not have a liquor store open during the pandemic. So I could not. That's crazy. I know. I figured you guys would think that was nuts. I I heard that in Pennsylvania, they specifically kept the state liquor stores open. Yeah, that's a much wiser state. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say you may need to be... consider a move, uh, Kathy. <laughs> I, know. I know, and and the sad part was is I mean I've heard stories from many people about um, the people who went in the last few hours and just stocking up, and everyone was just very sullen and sad. You know, it was lots of parents who were going to be home with little kids were stocking up. Yeah, I'm sure. So, so so what did what did you do? So you did you. Just have to find some wine in a nearby town or just raid your own stock or what? Yeah, so far we're just drinking down our own stock. <laughs> so I do not I did not yeah. get to um enjoy the wine with you guys today. So enjoy it. I'm curious to hear well, about it. Well, I actually am not drinking that particular wine as well because while it is for sale here at um Total Wine, mm-hmm. I looked online, it was there. I'm like, we're gonna do this wine. Well, then by the time I was able to get to Total Wine, that particular wine was sold out. Oh. So I did choose the Noblest's Vinho Verde. The guy said this was really good too. So mm-hmm. And have you tried Regardless, it? Regardless, yes, I'm having a sip right now. Let's have a sip. It's it's bubbly, Kathy. Mm. It's got a little effervescence. I don't know what it reminds me of. It reminds me of, um, I don't know, it's a little sweet and fruity. So, and Al, bubbly. why, is this your favorite wine, Al, or why did you choose this one? You know, it is, it is, and, and it also has a story with it. I mean, you're right. Uh, it, it is a little bit effervescent when you first open it. Uh, it's very light, um, a little fruity. It, I call it the 7-Up of wines. <laughs> and, and I love it because I, if I open a bottle and I'll have a glass before dinner and a glass or two with dinner, and then I just finish the bottle before the end of the night because... <laughs> It's just such so easy drinking, and mm-hmm. I for, vino verde is a Portuguese wine. It means green wine, and I discovered it not in Portugal but in Macau, uh, which oh, used cool. to be a Portuguese colony just across the Pearl River Delta from Hong Kong. And when we lived in Hong Kong, Macau was a great getaway place, and it was still controlled by the Portuguese at that time. So that was where I discovered vino verde in this fabulous restaurant in a barn that served some sort of an amalgam of Portuguese and Chinese food. And mm. it, it was just fabulous food. And they, they, the guy recommended this wine. And it's been my favorite wine ever since. I mean, I do like it, but it also brings back great memories. Oh, that's really cool. <laughs> so we all have a little story about our wine. <laughs> all right. So now that we have our wine and out, make sure you have a sip. Um, yes. Let's jump in right away to the elephant in the room. Um, we <laughs> are recording this during a world pandemic. Um, so instead of at Sleuth Fest, um, the writing conference where we all met, um, you know, we're doing it during a pandemic. And this is sad, but on top of that, Al, it's your first. <clears throat> novels book birthday i know you had a book signing plan complete with a delicious cake um and wine at our local bookstore murder by the beach 
Um, but fortunately, that's been canceled. So I'm really excited to hear about this adjustment that you made to a virtual book launch. So can you tell us a little bit about this and how it came about? Sure. Uh, well, as you said, uh, Murder on the Beach is closed because all non-essential businesses are closed. So, I mean, we, we went through several stages where it was first like some businesses were closing and then it was social distancing 25 people and then it was social distancing 10 people. And at that point, we realized it wasn't really practical. I asked Joanne, the manager of Murder on the Beach, if she would sort of um, co-host some sort of online event with me. And I told her that I would try to drive business to the bookstore and tell people that if they wanted to order Sandblast, they should order it from my lo local independent bookstore rather than just click the Amazon link. Mm -hmm. And so she was ready to do that. And then a few days later, she realized she couldn't do it because since the stores close, she said UPS uh, is aware that the store is closed and they don't accept shipments that are addressed to the store. So aside hmm. from the fact that she's not there to receive the shipment and she would have to go in special to put books in envelopes and mail them out, it turned out the fact was that she can't receive the books. She ordered them, but she can't receive them as long as the bookstore is closed. So she has no oh, books to send. Oh, that's crazy. Oh my God, so that's crazy. in the end, you know, it's just me. And so what I did was I experimented with a couple of options, including uh, Zoom, which I know has become very popular. The problem with Zoom for me was that people have to download the app. And mm -hmm. I thought that might be a little intimidating, a little off-putting for people. <laughs> it was a little fun for us trying to figure out today. Just <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, over over the 10 days between when I made the decision and when the event happens, I think most people will have Zoom because everybody's getting it and using it. <laughs> mm -hmm. But at the time, I thought I would look for another platform. So I went with uh, Facebook Live, uh, which all you have to have is a Facebook account. And then you go to my author page on Facebook and the video will appear and you can join by chat. And, and, that's, and that seemed fine. And then... I found a website called BeLive.tv, which sort of feeds into Facebook Live and enables you to manage the broadcast like a TV show. Oh, so oh, wow. if all goes well, you will see me talking for part of it, but you'll also see a little video. You'll see different pictures and slides that hopefully my son will be my producer director and he will be sort of managing this broadcast so that it'll be a little bit more visually interesting. So right. uh, I hope we've come up with a good plan and I hope a few people show up. Yeah, that sounds great. I'm definitely going to go, aren't you, Kathy? I am, and I'm going <laughs> to invite everybody in my Facebook group so I can tell them all about this, your great Thank book. You. And now we're inviting everybody, all our listeners out yeah. there. You know, this is going to happen, I guess, next Tuesday. Yes, on the, um, 31st the 31st at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, go to Al Pesson Author on Facebook. And I, I think you just scroll down to the, what will be the first uh, post on the page, which will be the live broadcast. There will be a blank screen that says, we'll get started in a minute. And then at about 7 o'clock, we'll play a two-and-a-half-minute video, and then we'll start the program. So... Cool. Uh, Al Pesson author on Facebook 
on the 31st, Tuesday, 7 p.m. All right. Well, I'm looking And that's to basically that. my whole book tour. Yeah. I mean, oh. I, I had been planning to uh, fly north to the northeast um, on April 8th, and I had asked the publicist at Kensington Books to arrange some appearances for me. And honestly, it had been difficult. It's difficult, I think, for any debut author to have a, a bookstore that doesn't know them mm-hmm. schedule an event for them. And then just when I was really getting irritated about this and I was getting ready to pick up the phone and start calling people myself, mm-hmm. the pandemic came along. <laughs> and I wasn't even sure if I was going to be able to fly up north. And of course, now I know for sure that I can't. So mm-hmm. the whole book tour, which sort of didn't exist yet, fell apart. And the only thing I was left with was Murder on the Beach in Delray Beach, Florida, which couldn't host it because they were closed. So. Wow. So it all came down to this online event. And I think it'll be a nice, it'll be a fun event. I'll keep it short, uh, try to keep it interesting. Uh, but you'll have to bring your own wine and cake. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're good at that. <laughs> we are good at that. You know, Al, you mentioned your publicist at Kensington. So let's let's back up. And we've mentioned that we met at um, writing conferences at Thriller Fest and Sleuth Fest. Kind of give everybody your background, so how you went from writing this novel to getting an agent and getting the publishing house, and give everybody kind of the skinny. Well, you know, it's it'll be just about five years. Let's say let me do this. So it's four four months short of five years uh, since I started this process, since I first put finger to keyboard, okay. and it it took about a year to do the first draft. It took six months or so uh, for revisions. And I did hire an editor. um, And I think if if you have a lot of aspiring writers listening, I mean, when you hire an editor, you have to understand what services you're getting. And the service that I got was called developmental editing, which I believe is the least expensive service. Mm -hmm. So if, if you want a full edit or a copy edit or proofreading, those are more expensive. But just for somebody to read the book and basically give you a professional critique and recommendations uh, is the least expensive service. So if people are interested, at that time the book was about 72,000 words and I paid about $650, so less than a penny a word. And it was money well spent because it was my first time through the process. I and chose my you, editor carefully. I And say, so how did you find a, your editor? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, there, there are a few aggregators out on the internet uh, aggregators that put editors and writers together as well as publicists and other mm-hmm. folks. Uh, I, I tend to use one called Reedsy.com. It's R-E-E-D-S-Y.com. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of free uh, podcasts as well, which are quite useful. Uh, and on Reedsy, you can put in your information in terms of what's your genre and what's your subgenre and what are you looking, what kind of editor you're looking for. And it'll generate a list of, of editors, and then you can read their backgrounds, and you can write to them and tell them what you need and find out you know, if, what they would charge, and you can send them a few pages. They can send you back a sample edit, which is good for both sides to kind of see what they're getting into. And I ended up choosing a wonderful woman named Lourdes Venard. Her company is called Comma Sense Editing. And I chose Lourdes because 
She was an editor on the foreign desk of New York Newsday newspaper. Oh, wow. And not only did I know somebody who, wor- who had worked at Newsday, but I just felt that somebody who was an editor of international news was the right kind of person for this book. And she had been a book editor then already for several years and had quite a few books under her belt that had gotten published. So she had both sides. She had mm-hmm. long experience as an editor of foreign news and solid experience as a book editor. And she turned out to be great. She did a lot of extra things for me, the phone calls, emails. She sent me a list of agents. She edited my synopsis. She was really terrific. Awesome. So I started querying, and in about six, that was in um, uh, the fall of 2017, maybe. And I, I got an editor, uh, I got a, an agent, in six weeks, which is amazing. Yeah. Right. And she was an agent at a major New York publishing firm, which she and the firm will remain nameless, and you'll see why because <laughs> of the rest of the story. Um, and she is uh, what's known as an editing agent. She used to be an editor. She was an author briefly, and she uh, likes to trade drafts back and forth with her clients to get them polished up to what she feels is really ready Uh, for prime time. So we went back and forth with drafts for about a year. And she said, I remember the email she sent to me. She said, it's, it's finished and it's very good. And she was going to send it out to her top four people that she thought might publish the book. And in the end, three of them sent back very polite uh, no's and the fourth one never answered. And then she said, Uh, She decided that she wanted a major change in the book that a colleague of hers had recommended. And she said to me, if you don't want to make this change, don't worry about it. I'll send it out to the next dozen people on my list. But I think the best thing for you to do is make this change. And I said, well, I don't want to make the change. And she said, well, what if you hire another editor and and work with somebody, you know, a really high-end New York editor? Mm -hmm. And... She said, but if you don't want to do it, I'll go ahead and send it out. So I said, all right, you know, I figured I should make every effort to make it as good as it can be before she sends it out to her top, the rest of her top contacts. So I hired this editor who shall also remain nameless. And um, uh, for $2,000, he did a, a critique of the book in which he made a few points, nothing major, and he did not suggest what she had suggested. And when I told him what she had suggested, he said, oh no, that's a terrible idea. So I sat down and I did another revision of the book. I did not do what she had wanted, but I did a few other things. And I sent it back to her and she said to me, well, I see you didn't do what I asked you to do. And I said, no, the editor that you had said was a good editor agreed with me that we shouldn't do that. And you said you were going to send it out anyway. So here's a slightly improved draft for you to send out. And she said, you know, I don't think I can really send this out unless you make the change. And I said, well, that's completely different from what you said a few months ago. And she said, well, that's the way it is. So I said, after spending $2,000, right? Yeah. So I said, you're fired. So I fired my agent because she lied to me, I felt. And, uh, and so then I started querying again, and oh, I was querying man. agents and small publishers and medium-sized publishers directly. And that is when I came upon Kensington 
Publishing, which I had not known, is mm -hmm. the sixth largest publisher in America and the largest independent publisher, meaning they're not a subsidiary of any of the big five publishers. So I, I didn't realize uh, they were the sixth biggest. That's very impressive. Yeah, I didn't either. Yeah, they do. They do like six hundred books a year. Wow. And uh, just an awful lot of different genres, and they're ex they are expanding their thriller uh, list. So it was good timing for me. But here's here's something for your aspiring writers that when I went to the Kensington website and I was looking at their various editors to try to see which one I wanted to query. And I found one that I thought was the right one. And I Googled her. And there was a video on YouTube of her speaking at a writer's conference. And I watched this video. And one of the questions was, what are you looking for? And another question was, what are your pet peeves? What, do you, what is a turnoff for you? And as I'm listening to this, everything that she wants is in my book. <sighs> and none of her pet peeves are in my book. Oh, wow. So I sent her a very customized email query that, that even in the subject line spoke exactly to what she's looking for and what she's not looking for. And the subject line was something like black ops with a twist and no dreams. <laughs> and I sent, I work on this for an hour and I, I sent it and I walked my dog and I came back 15 minutes later and she had answered me. Wow. And she asked for uh, the full manuscript. And uh, unfortunately, she had lots of distractions and lots of other things going on. And it was a good solid year until she finally said yes, or got around to reading it, and then said yes very quickly. And uh, they gave me a three-book contract in the end. But, you know, no two writers have the same story, but all their stories are probably pretty twisty and turny. And that's reasonably short version of mine well that is twisty and turning it's fascinating so you went straight to a publisher yes so i don't have an agent oh interesting do you intend to keep it that way do you think al well i had a three book contract so sandblast is coming out now mm -hmm. the sequel blowback will be out a year from now pandemic Can't allowing wait. <laughs> and then there will be a third book uh, that has a working title, but not an official title. And that'll be a year later. And so that's yeah. this contract. And I'm working on the third book now. Okay. Um, and then as you know, what I'm going to do after that, we'll see. we'll see. I mean, it's been really good working with Kensington and uh, I might like to stick with them if they either want another book in the series or a standalone, mm -hmm. uh, which I've, I had started a standalone uh, before I got this contract, which I would like to finish. So I guess all those things will be determined uh, later this year, early next year. Oh, exciting, though. It is. Exciting. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's great to be at this point in the process. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so at this point in our conversation is when we usually do our question in the bottle. Christy, don't you think it's time? Yes, I do. I'm, like, looking for my bottle. Oh, Why okay. am I so <laughs> nervous about this? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we've had we have uh, shared many a uh, cocktail together, so this is just like any other conversation we've had, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, except it's recorded and recorded. it'll be on the internet forever. But otherwise, it's if just you... like having a cocktail at Thriller Fest. Yeah, that was, it was great fun. They're just fun questions. No pressure. Okay. Good. I like no that. pressure. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So this one is all right. Oh. 
what vacation destination is on your bucket list? Hmm. Is there oh. any place Al hasn't been, I wonder? Right. <laughs> there are a lot of places. Uh, the, there, the two places on my bucket list are Alaska and Scandinavia slash St. Petersburg, Russia. Oh, Wow, there you go. And I've been to both both of those places. Good for so you. There you go. I haven't been to half of the other places. Well, yet. you know, the pandemic, <laughs> some good friends of ours were planning to do the Scandinavia St. Petersburg thing this summer, and the oh. pandemic has forced them to postpone for a year, so we might get to go with them. Oh, oh. yeah. Was it a cruise that they were doing? Yeah, cruise combination, yeah. A little bit of uh-huh. cruise, a little bit of land, yeah. Oh. Well, well, good. Be, it'll be fun, fun to see uh, next year when we talk to you about blowback. It'll be fun to see if you're yeah. scheduled to go on that trip. All right. Exactly. Yeah, there we absolutely. Go. <laughs> Mark that down. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So um, let's switch to the reason we're all here, um, Sandblast. Where did you get the inspiration for uh, Bridget Davenport? Where did that come from? Okay, so Bridget is kind of an amalgam of some incredible women that I met during the time I was covering the Pentagon from 05 to 11. Uh, Military women and civilian women who work in the national security field. These are some uh, very smart, uh, pretty badass women uh, who who know what they're talking about and, and, you know, don't take any BS and really play a significant role in our national security in terms of helping to develop the policy in the Pentagon, evaluating it out in the field, and also, of course, the women who are in the military who uh, just do amazing work, uh, even though they're not, although they can now be in combat specialties, most of them are not, but they do incredible work in all sorts of things, including intelligence, which is what Bridget's in, um, you know, but also in logistics, in medicine, and in many other uh, specialties. So I definitely wanted to have a character that kind of brought together uh, several of those women. And, and by the way, as you know, since you read Sandblast, that work, I suppose many jobs do, but that work has a big impact on their personal life and their ability to have a personal life and what happens in their relationships. And so I tried to uh, depict that as well as the national security and defense aspect. Yeah, you did a great job of that. Yeah, I, I really, I loved her. And I, when I finished the book, Al, I even, um, I emailed you and I said, I loved the book and I loved the ending. I thought it was a just a satisfying way to wrap everything up, but open the door. I already can't wait to read the next installment for sure. <laughs> so mm-hmm. my my question is, I guess this is kind of a, are you a plotter or a pantser? But I mean, did you have the in kind of whole picture in your mind when you started working on this or did the plot un- unravel itself to you? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I really had an advantage in writing this book because I got the idea for it about six or seven years before I wrote it, about 10 years ago. Um, and so I, I, had a, I had the main character, Faraz, and I had Bridget, and I had the basic idea of the story of uh, him going undercover. Um, I obviously didn't know all the plot points, and, but I did visualize that very final scene where he 
well, we won't say what he does, Don't, but that yeah, very no final scene, I did visualize that. You uh, did. And then what happened was, what happened was when I uh, retired from VOA and moved to Florida and I wanted to write this thing and I looked for a writing class to take and the first writing class that I took about midway through the class, the teacher asked us to do what she called a chapter outline and I didn't know what that was. And, and what it is, is just you write on a document chapter one and one or two or three sentences about what's going to happen in chapter one and then chapter two and you do the same thing and you try to plot out the whole book. So basically, Kathy, I was a pantser for a quarter to a third of the book mm -hmm. and that assignment came at just the right moment where I oh. really needed to know where I was going so yeah. that I could write what led up to it. And so I did that and I was really excited about it. And even though I didn't stick to it exactly, it gave me a sort of a roadmap to get to where I get to in the end of the book. I love it. Kathy's a real good organizer. I don't know if you knew that about her. Um, but Well, I but, knew one of you had to be. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Hey, look, so I'm organized in other ways. Like, you know, I organize, I organize the podcast, but yes, when you it comes do. to writing, I'm not I real, just show up. I'm not real organized. Like, uh, so I always look to Kathy for guidance, you know? <laughs> so when you get to that point, like well, you said, the pantser gets to the point. Let me just say one other thing. Let me say one other thing about plotting versus pantsing, because now, and I don't know if this is true of all writers, but because I have the three book contract, the contract says I have to turn in a synopsis before I start writing this, a second book or a third book, and it has to be mm -hmm. approved. So that has really forced me to do that synopsis or chapter outline before I start writing, because there's no point in me spending months writing something that they don't want. And they mm -hmm. certainly don't want that to happen because they want me to make the deadlines and publish my books on schedule. Right. So mm -hmm. I'm sort of forced to become a plotter. And I think it's a good thing, actually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How involved is that synopsis? I mean, you know, the synopsis for blowback, if I remember correctly, was eight single spaced pages. And mm -hmm. then the synopsis for the third book, which I just got approved, was a lot shorter. It was like four pages. Hmm. And I thought, gee, maybe they're maybe they're going to ask for more info or something, but I sent it in and they wrote back and said, yeah, we love it. Go to town. Awesome. So, so it, good. You know, so you, just, you made, you made the grade there. Yeah. Yeah. They know me, <laughs> at least they know me a little bit by now. So, but I think if you're an aspiring writer doing a synopsis and making queries, if an agent asks for a synopsis, they'll tell you how long they want it to be. And some will say one page, two page, three page. Usually a synopsis is single spaced, but, I have various versions of the synopsis for Sandblast just because of the various queries that I had to send out. But mm -hmm. when you're doing it in my situation as part of a contract, just to let them know what your plan is, mm -hmm. the the rules are a little looser, I guess. Whatever they'll accept right. is fine. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So Al, you had you mentioned that you retired and had this idea that you were going to write this book. And you actually followed through. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that is a huge accomplishment. So many people want to write yes. a book, especially after a transition in life. And, you know, can, do you have any tips for anybody who's in that same, in, that same lane and how you kind of actually followed through and, and did the deed? Yeah, you know, I, I, I mean, I could go with the cliche, you know, there ain't nothing to it but to do it. Um, <laughs> I had three things I wanted to do. I, look, I knew and I found really quickly that, you know, sitting around all day, 
you know, was not really all that exciting. I mean, it's nice for a couple of weeks after you've been working for all those years, but you really, you have to have something to do. And the three things I wanted to do is I wanted to get in shape, learn to cook and write a book. And so I did all those things. And if I hadn't done all those things, I wouldn't have been doing anything. So it, I, I think it's really easy if you are retired uh, or not working uh, to find the time to do the thing and, that you want to do. And if you're passionate about it, like I was passionate about the Sandblast story because I've been thinking about it for years, then it's not so hard to do. I really admire the writers who work full time and are single moms or dads and write from mm. midnight to three in the morning and you know, they, they really have a much tougher time than I do. I had no excuse if I hadn't done it. Good perspective. You should be proud of yourself for doing that, even even though you had the time, because you could have just been like, oh, I'm going to go sit by the pool all day or something and drink vino <laughs> Why verde. Why didn't I think of that? Why didn't I think <laughs> if I thought of that? <laughs> well, Al, it has been so much fun to talk to you today. I enjoyed it. But before we go, we have one final question okay. that we have to appease our mysterious foodies out there. Now that you're a cook and all, um, you would fall in that category. We like to ask all our authors, which of your characters would you like to share a meal with and what would it be? It would have to be both Faraz and Bridget together. And mm. it would have to be Afghan food. Yeah. yeah. I think that would be really cool. I like the idea of them together. People, people, people have got to read this book so they can understand. The <laughs> I answer, know, right? I know. We yeah. can't say anything else. Okay, um, so we we um, will certainly remind everybody that they can come to your Facebook page next Tuesday, the thirty first at seven Eastern. Al Pesson, Al Pesson author. All right, and and how about your website or uh, other platforms you're on? Uh, my website is alpesson.com, A-L-P-E-S-S-I-N.com. And there's more information about uh, Sandblast and Blowback and pictures of me in the war zones and uh, some other fun stuff. And also about my play, which Christy yeah. was kind enough to come to <laughs> yes, last November. Yes, <laughs> and it, it, it's totally different. It's not um, this high intense thriller. It's um, it's a humorous mystery. It was really fun. It was fun. So you, Al's got many sides. Al, you're That's killing retirement. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm. I am actually really happy that I have found you know these things to do, and and I've really met a lot of people. I mean. When you think about it, when you're working, a lot of your interaction, your pals, I mean, maybe not your closest friends, but just people you enjoy seeing every day and, and accomplishing things with, and that goes away. So now I have mm -hmm. that, not so much with cooking, but I have it at the gym, and I have mm -hmm. it through writing and through the conferences and meeting people like you guys and, and interacting with folks online and in email. And, you know, so that's sort of my new job. All those things together are my new job. That's great. Very inspiring. You haven't gotten his book. Well, obviously you haven't gotten his book yet. It doesn't come out till Tuesday, but you definitely need to get it. It's like, Kathy, what, don't you think it's like um, sort of like a Tom Clancy novel, but only yeah. with Bridget instead of Jack, Jack Ryan. Ryan? Yeah, for sure. For sure. That's very nice of you to say that, Christy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, so go ahead and get it. And then next week's episode, we'll actually be just discussing the book. No spoilers, but we discuss it and pair it with food and wine. So you can join us for that. Yeah. And I, I could just add that the book, the, the, the book is a paperback, so it's only $8.99. Oh, and there you go. And it's also available as an ebook, 
and yeah. now as an audiobook. If you have Audible, it's one credit. Oh, oh awesome. Wow. Oh, awesome. Well, it's oh, been exciting. great to talk with you, Al. Congratulations on your wonderful success and this wonderful debut. Um, it's been great. Yes. We should and say Go ahead, can Christy. say cheers. Yep. Cheers. cheers. Thanks, guys. This was fun. I'm glad we finally got a chance to do this. Thanks to our mysterious foodies out there for listening and sharing. Check out our website, gameofbookspodcast.com, where you can find links to all we talk about. And if you subscribe to our weekly newsletter, you can get those links sent directly to you, along with any exciting updates. We are also on Facebook and Twitter under at GOB Writers. And if you enjoyed this episode as much as we did, we would love to hear from you. And please subscribe to Game of Books wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss any of our book club ideas and quirks and conversations with award-winning and best-selling authors. That's all for today's episode of Game of Books podcast, where we share food, wine, and mystery every Friday morning, just in time for the weekend. This is Christy. And Kathy. Saying thanks for listening. Bye, Bye everybody. everybody.